Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. Uh, I think this is edifying. I, I think you will benefit from knowing what R.A. Torrey found out. R.A. Torrey's a, a great preacher from years past. He was president of Moody Bible Institute. He was then goes out west, was president of Biola College out there, uh, served as pastor of different churches, you know, uh, went around the world preaching. And, you know, at one time, he probably, like many of you, uh, began to question things, and he questioned whether or not the Bible was the Word of God. Now, let's begin, though, by asking the question, why is that important? Does it matter? Well, let me assure you, it matters a lot. And I want to look at one verse that you're already familiar with, and that's Second uh, Timothy 3.16. If you look at Second Timothy 3.16, uh, this really gives us an indication of why what you believe about the Bible is critical. And I've, I've, I've inserted something in, in, in uh, parentheses here in this verse. But the verse says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It, it's good for you. The, the scripture that's been given to us by God is profitable. Don't overlook it. Don't underestimate it. Don't put it on the bookshelf. And it tells us how it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And in parentheses up here, I, I, I don't know if it's original with Warren Wearsby, who just passed away, by the way, uh, not too long ago. Bible scholar, pretty conservative Bible scholar. Uh, in his commentary on this verse, he mentions that doctrine tells us what is right. Reproof tells us what is not right. Correction tells us how to get it right, and instruction in righteousness tells us how to stay right. That's important, folks. There's all sorts of paths we can choose to go in this life. And you can venture out on your own, and most people today are doing it. But the consequences, as far as I can see, looking sometimes at just my neighbors, I can see the consequences when people don't want to know what's right. Or they determine on their own what is right. And I see enormous problems. And then I look, go out into the laboratory of life, at people who believe this and who try to live it. And I see homes that are not perfect. There is no such thing. I see lives that are not perfect. There's no such thing. But I see homes and I see lives of people that are doing so much better. Not that they're problem-free, not that they're temptation-free, but compared to people who don't value the Bible, who have no regard for the Bible, who think it's a bunch of myths, or who think it's just a, you know, filled with errors and contradictions, I look at those people, and I think they're missing it. I mean, the laboratory of life substantiates what this verse says. And it should. If, if the Bible is true, then what this verse says, we ought to be able to go out there and look around and be able to confirm what it says. And my observation is, man, you can confirm this. And we need to know that. We, there, there are too many landmines out there that if you get off course, that you're going to mess your life up. There's too many temptations out there. 
We need somebody to tell us that we're, that we're, that what's right and, and what's wrong and, and how to get it right and how to stay right. That's, that's invaluable. Invaluable. So we ought to love the Bible. We ought to revere the Bible. And we ought not come to the point where we ever question the Bible as God's Word. We need to be, it needs to be set in stone in our hearts. The value of God's Word. And not argue with it. Not try to do away with it, not try to diminish it. As was the case one time with R.A. Torrey, we read this to you before. I'll read it to you again. This is what he said. This is the problem he had. I was brought up to believe that the Bible was the Word of God. In early life, I accepted it as such upon the authority of my parents and never gave the question any serious thought. He goes on to say, but later in life, my faith in the Bible was utterly shattered. Through the influence of the writings of a very celebrated, scholarly, and brilliant skeptic, I found myself face-to-face with the question, why do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? And he went on this pilgrimage to find out for himself. And he came away with ten reasons that he eventually wrote down as to why he came to the conclusion that the Bible is indeed the Word of God. And that's a fantastic conclusion. I don't want my life messed up in this world. There's temptations out there, and my flesh is weak. I don't want it messed up for my children. I don't want it messed up for my grandchildren. And the, 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 the thing that I can point them to with great certainty that will guide them through this life with all confidence is the Word of God. And to the degree that they accept that and they pursue the Word of God and they learn the Word of God and they love the Word of God and then they live the Word of God, to the degree that they do that, they are going to be well. And to the degree they ignore it, are critical of it, to that degree, there's going to be more drama in their lives, more disappointment, more heartache. Well, we looked at the first five things that he came up with. His first five reasons included the following. He concluded that the Bible was the Word of God first on the ground of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ quoting the Old Testament. You know, if you're going to believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, he's going to quote the Old Testament. That's going to tell you a lot about the Bible. Second, on the ground of its fulfilled prophecies. You know, no other book can claim fulfilled prophecies, but the Bible can. Third, on the ground of the unity of the book how it was written over 1,500 years by many different men in many different places, never knew each other, and yet there's a perfect harmony to it. Fourth, on the ground of the immeasurable superiority of the teachings of the Bible to those of any other and all other books. He came to the conclusion that no book has what that book has. No book can come close. There's other good books, but nothing that even comes close to what the Bible has. And fifth, we saw last time, on the ground of the history of the book, it's victory over attack. I mean, the Bible has been, from the heathen, a hated book, a despised book. And people have hated and despised it for a a variety of, of reasons. You know, the early Roman Empire saw these people as traitors. They believed the Bible. They're not putting their faith in Caesar. And so we need to get rid of the Bible. And whenever the Bible contradicts the self-will of man, then man wants to get rid of the Bible. And the fact that the Bible has survived as it has to be the most popular book ever in the history of the world uh, was very convincing to R.A. Torrey that there's something special about this book. Well, we pick up on number six. And he says, the sixth reason is on the ground of the character of those who accept 
and of those who reject the book. How interesting that he came up with that observation. On the ground of the character of those who accept and of those who reject the book. Look at the people out, if you will, in the laboratory of life. And look at the lives of the people who reject the book. Extreme examples would be Hitler, Stalin, Lenin, Mao, Castro. You know, those are extreme examples, but they're examples. He said, then look at the people who, who accept the book. He, he said this, and it's on the screen behind me. Two things, he said, speak of, for the divinity of the Bible. The character of those who accept it, and equally the character of those who reject it. And he says, and he's reasonable here, I do not mean by this that every man who professes to believe the book is better than every man that does not. But show me a man living an unselfish, devoted life, one who without reservation has surrendered himself to do the will of God, and I will show you a man who believes the Bible to be God's word. On the other hand, show me a man who rejects the divine authority of the book, and I will show you a man living a life of greed or lust or spiritual pride or self-will. And anybody that rejects the book is definitely leading a life of self-will. That, that's undeniable. And then he goes on to say two other quotes from R.A. Torrey concerning this. The nearer men live to God, the more confident they are that the Bible is God's word. The farther they get away from him, the more confident they are that it is not. What an astute observation. And then lastly on this point, he says, Where is the stronghold of the Bible? He answers, In the pure, unselfish, happy home. Where is the stronghold of infidelity? The gambling hell, the drinking saloon, and the brothel? And I think the answer is obvious. It makes a difference. And that impressed him. The ground of the character of those who accept and those who reject the book. That speaks volumes. Number seven. He accepted the Bible as the word of God on the ground of the influence of the book. This would be related to some degree with number six. He says this, and again I quote, There is more power in that little book, as he refers to the Bible, to save men and purify, gladden and beautify their lives than in all the other literature put together. More power to lift men up to God. He goes on to say, A stream never rises higher than its source, and a book that has a power to lift men up to God that no other book has, must have come down from God in a way that no other book was. He said this, I'll just read it to you, and explaining this a little further. He said, and I quote, I have in mind as I write, a man who was the most complete victim of strong drink I ever knew. Talking about an alcoholic. A man of marvelous intellectual gifts, but who had been stupefied and brutalized and demonized by the power of sin, and he was an infidel. At last, the light of God shone into his darkened heart, and by the power of that book, he has been transformed into one of the humblest, sweetest, 
noblest men I know today. And he asked the question, it's on the screen behind me, what other book has the power to elevate not only individuals, but communities and nations that this book has? I mean, our nation has been influenced by the book. Uh, you, you, you go back and you look at the First and Second Great Awakening and the layman's revival, and entire communities were changed. You know, they were small rural communities back then, but they said people would go into a town where there had been revival, which is what? Preaching of the word. And it was different. Bar rooms would close down and just people were acting different. It was that kind of revival back here in the United States. So he says, seventh, on the ground of the influence of this book. Again, the, the evidence is overwhelming and the evidence is, is undeniable. We don't want to, we don't want to um, minimize the Bible in our lives. We want to realize the value of it. Eighth... He says, on the ground of the inexhaustible depth of the book. And again, he, he's giving some very interesting observations. He was obviously, I mean, he was a pastor of a couple Christian colleges, uh, colleges so he's obviously a very intelligent man. And I just think it's interesting at some of these things he came up with to make him believe in the Bible. But on the ground of the inexhaustible depth of the book. And he explained... And I quote, George Mueller, he was the man that started, he was the German that came over to England and started the uh, orphanages there, and God just miraculously provided, <coughs> great man of God. He said, George Mueller read it through more than 100 times and said it was fresher, fresher every time he read it. How many of us wouldn't read a novel twice. I mean, two of the best books I've ever read was one about Lewis and Clark, you know, going out to the Pacific. Uh, the former general Ambrose wrote it. Fascinating book. I read it once. I have no desire to read it again. It was a great book. Probably the only book in my life, other than God's Word, that I haven't been able to put down is the one about Ernest Shackleton and going down to the, the North Pole. Going down to the North Pole. Going down to the South Pole. On an expedition from England, I think late 1800s, maybe early 1900s, and all his men came back alive after being, their ship was crushed by ice, and in the winter they had to wait for it to thaw out, and then they got their life, it's it's an amazing story. Uh, What's the name of that book? Endurance? I think that's the name of it. Fabulous, fabulous book. I read it, I have no desire to read it again, but the Bible... Who tires of reading the Bible? And it's true. Tori got it right. It gets better and better as you read it. Now, how do you, how do you explain that? He goes on to say, <clears throat> But more wonderful than this, not only individual men, but generations of men for 1,800 years at the time of this writing have dug into it and given to the world thousands of volumes devoted to its exposition. And they have not reached the bottom of the quarry yet. It is amazing. The inexhaustible depth of the book. How do you explain that? Number nine. He came to believe 
And be certain that the Bible is the Word of God on the ground of the fact that as we grow in knowledge and holiness, we grow toward the Bible. The more you grow in the Lord, he is saying here, the more you learn to appreciate and value the Bible. When you first get saved, you might have an appreciation for the Bible, but it's the dear saints of God that you'll see sitting on their porch or sitting in a nursing home with a Bible open on their lap uh, far more often than not. On the ground of the fact that as we grow in knowledge and holiness, we grow towards the Bible, he said, and I quote, Every thoughtful person, when he starts out to study the Bible, finds many things with which he does not agree. But as he goes on studying and growing in likeness to God, the nearer he gets to God, the nearer he gets to the Bible. He continues, The nearer and nearer we get to God's standpoint, the less and less becomes the disagreement between us and the Bible. What is the inevitable mathematical conclusion? When we get where God is, we and the Bible will meet. In other words, the Bible was written from God's standpoint. And he gives this illustration. I don't have it up here, but I want to uh, I, I share it with you. I love this little illustration he gives. And this, you'll relate to this. He says this. Suppose you're traveling through a forest under the conduct or the guidance of an experienced and highly regarded guide. Okay, you're going through a forest, but you got a guide with you to show you the way. You come to a place where two roads diverge. The guide says the road to the left is the one to take. But your own judgment, passing upon the facts before it, sees clear evidence that the road to the right is the one to take. You turn and you say to the guide... I know you've had large experience in this forest, and you have come to me highly recommended, but my own judgment tells me clearly that the road to the right is the one we should take, and I must follow my own judgment. I know my reason is not infallible, but it is the best guide that I have. But after you have followed that path for some distance, you are obliged to stop turn around and go back and take the path which the guide said was the right one. After a while, you come to another place where two roads diverge. Now the guide says the road to the right is the one to take. But your judgment clearly says that the one to the left is the one to take. And again, you follow your own judgment with the same result as before. After you've had this experience 40 or 50 times and found yourself wrong every time, I think you would have sense enough to next time follow the guide. That is just my experience, he says, with the Bible. I received it at first on the authority of others. Like almost all other young men, my confidence became shaken and I came to the fork in the road more than 40 times and I followed my own reason. And in the outcome, found myself wrong and the Bible right every time. And I trust that from this time on, I shall have sense enough to follow the teachings of the Bible, whatever my own judgment may say. Isn't that good? That illustrates so well. And that's what so many people do. So many young people in, their, in the foolishness of youth, parents 
lovingly share the Bible and say, this is what, yeah, but I know that's what it says, but I'm going to go to the right or I'm going to go to the left. And invariably, if you take the road which the Bible does not commend, it's going to end tragically. And then the last one, and I thought maybe this was the most compelling and most interesting that he came up with. On the ground of the direct testimony of the Holy Spirit, he came to the conclusion that the Bible is the Word of God based on the direct testimony of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does he mean? Listen, this is fascinating. The Holy Spirit, he said, sets his seal in the soul of every believer to the divine authority of the Bible. It is possible to get to a place where we need no argument to prove that the Bible is God's word. He said, we get to the place where we don't need an argument. And then he says, Christ says, my sheep know my voice and God's children know his voice. And I know that the voice that speaks to me from the pages of that book is the voice of my father. You just recognize the father's voice when you go through the pages of God's Word. The best proof perhaps you can have is that you recognize God's voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. This is God's voice. If if my dad were still alive and I were to get a phone call, I wouldn't be saying, well, who's this? I would just, my mom calls. I don't have to ask, is that you? No, I... I know her voice, and a child of God will know God's voice. He says this. I'll just read it to you, another little illustration. You will sometimes, he says, meet a pious old lady who tells you that she knows that the Bible is God's word. And when you ask her for a reason for believing that it is God's word, she can give you none. She simply says, I know it's God's word. You say, that's mere superstition. Not at all. She is one of Christ's sheep. And she recognizes her shepherd's voice from every other voice. She is one of God's children and knows the voice which speaks to her from the Bible is the voice of God. He concludes by saying she is above argument. I pity Young people, I pity moms, I pity dads, I pity families that don't understand that the Bible is God's word. He came to the conclusion, let's review these ten real quick. First, on the ground of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Second, on the ground of its fulfilled prophecies. Third, on the ground of the unity of the book. Fourth, on the ground of the immeasurable superiority of the teachings of the Bible to those of any other and all other books. Fifth, on the ground of the history of the book, its victory over attack. Sixth, on the ground of the character of those who accept and those who reject the book. Seventh, on the ground of the influence of the book. Eighth, on the ground of the inexhaustible depth of the book. Ninth, on the ground of the fact that as we grow in knowledge and holiness, we grow towards the Bible. And tenth, on the ground of the direct testimony of the Holy Spirit. My sheep know my voice. And you just know. You just know. You may not have thought through like R.A. Torrey and be able to give somebody a list of reasons 
and I think maybe this is the best one of all, just my opinion, you just, you just know that it is. One writer said, The Bible as a book stands alone. There never was nor ever will be another like it. As there is but one sun to enlighten the world naturally, so there is but one book to enlighten the world spiritually. May that book become to each of us the man of our counsel, the guide of our journey, and support and comfort in life and in death. And we will end where we began a while ago. 2 Timothy 3.16 For all Scripture, and this is, this is why people who believe the Bible to be the Word of God, who take it seriously, who read it, study it, who, who want to be in Sunday school because they're going to hear the Word taught, who want to be in Sunday morning church, Sunday afternoon, Wednesday night because they want to hear it taught. Here, here's the benefits. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It is profitable. It is time well spent in your Sunday school class. It's profitable in, in, in a way that no other exercise can be. An exercise being whatever you, whatever you want to do. Compared to, to being in God's word, your, 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 your personal devotional time in the Bible, it's profitable. It, it, it will benefit you. He says it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It's profitable for doctrine. It tells you what is right. And as we live our journey, our short journey on this earth, it is critical to know what is right and to have a source that you can trust, and such is the Bible. It's profitable for doctrine, what is right. It is profitable for reproof, for reproof. It tells you what is wrong. If you've got a wrong attitude, if you've got a wrong spirit, if, you've, if you're doing wrong things, reading wrong things, listening to wrong things, watching wrong things, it will tell you, and that's good. It's, conviction is a good thing when you handle it properly. It tells you what is wrong. For correction, it tells you how to get right. God's a loving Heavenly Father. He just wants to bless us. He tells you how to get right. And it's for, profitable for instruction in righteousness. Instruction in righteousness. How to stay right. If you believe this, you will look forward, if you have your devotions in the morning, to your morning devotions. It will be, perhaps, and maybe ought to be the highlight of your day. Before you get going, maybe get up early before anybody else and turn the lamp on beside your chair and read God's Word. Or it might be the last thing you do in the evening. I mean, you know, some people are morning people, some people are evening people. most valuable part of your day is kids are in bed or everybody else is in bed and you take a few moments with the Bible open on your lap. You value your Sunday school teacher, your Sunday school class. You value Sunday morning service. You value Sunday afternoon. You value Wednesday night. Because at this church, we're going to always point you to the Word of God. What are we doing tonight? We're giving you evidence that this book 
is what it says it is and is trustworthy and is profitable to you. Now, we are weak and we're frail. And we can get thrown off course. We can get out of sequence. But, but come back. You always come back. There, there, there are days I'll miss a morning devotion. I don't know. I mean, something comes up, and, and before you know it, you, you realize, wait, wait a minute. I didn't have my devotion this morning. So don't think that you've got to be perfect. You, you're going to bat a thousand, you know. But I will correct. Okay, tomorrow, I, you know, i got to remember, that's a priority tomorrow. So some people don't get started because they think, well, you've got to be perfect, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do that. No, just open God's Word. Start reading it. You know, don't, don't make it harder than it is. It's just God speaking to you. Love it. And, and if you mess up, if you miss a day, if you miss a couple days, okay, don't, don't throw in the towel. But you'll keep coming back if, and you'll work harder when you realize just how value it is. It's not a chore. It's, it's not a burden. It's, it's like, it's the best part of my day. Church is the best part of my day. You know, my, my personal devotions is the best part of my day. If it's the best part of your day, you, you may get thrown off course occasionally, but you're going to hate it and you're going to want to get back. Not because you have to, but because you want to. If you have the right attitude, it's because you want to. It's like it's the most valuable. And, it, and if your personal devotional time isn't that way where it's not the high, I mean, I love early morning in my easy chair, my devotion time. That time goes by, it goes by so fast. It's the fastest time of my day because it's so valuable. It's so good. It's so rich. And I, 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 I don't want it to be over. And so, if you don't have a daily devotion time, then it, is there... First place I would look would be into the corners of my heart. I guarantee you, chances are there's some sin there. I'm not saying that for sure. But if you're not having regular devotions, or if you're easy to miss church... Most, you know, I've been at this 40-something years now. I have always had somebody's got something going on that they shouldn't have going on. And it's coming between them and God. You need to, you need to if something's coming to your heart right now, some, some secret sin, some hidden sin, fight it. You may not get rid of it in one fell swoop, but you, you, you need to fight. There, there's a reason. We're a child of God. Look, somebody told me if... if uh, if mom's got a good meal cooked when you get home and you don't want to eat it, it's because you already ate some junk somewhere else. Do you get, the, get it? If you're eating junk somewhere else, then having faithful devotions can be a problem. Now, it may not be the case. Maybe you're just undisciplined and you just need to work on discipline. You know, I, I don't know, but I, I just throw that out as a real possibility that when sin is occupying a place and you're eating on sin, you, 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 you're full and you don't need God's word. In fact, you probably find reasons and excuses to stay away from it. Don't do that. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's pro- it'll do you good. 
It'll tell you what is right, what is wrong, how to get right, and how to stay right. Let's stand, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Mayo Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.